jumping into a new series today uh, in the book of Nehemiah titled Rise and Build. Rise and Build. Remember when I, when I announced the title, you're supposed to go, Ooh, remember that? <laughs> I put a lot of thought to this stuff. <laughs> you got to help me out. Um, so this new series is going to walk us through the book of Nehemiah. Um, it's an Old Testament book that we'll be looking at, but I wanted to take a second just to center us and remind us of the reason that we're here. Um, Epiphany Church exists to help people come to know God through loving the word, find freedom from all of their brokenness and baggage through living woven with one another, to discover their purpose, which is to live a lifestyle of worship so that they can ultimately make a difference in the world through leveraging their work and all kinds of things that they do. Um, and part of that is us is seeking to see the least, the last, the lost, and the left out come to know Christ. Um, and part of that, it looks like this. At the top of the year, uh, the Lord gave uh, me a word for um, our church for this year. And this has been the year of definition for us. Y'all remember that? Remember we were talking about that? Um, a lot has happened since that time. We were in a different place, in a different space, at a different time. Uh, and God has been moving pieces and working all kinds of things out. Um, but I wanted to remind us that not to forget that God is defining us as a church. Uh, we are a one-year-old church. That means we're a baby. Amen. Anybody got one-year-olds? Ryan, where you at? You got a one-year-old. You got to do a lot for them. <laughs> they don't just like go and take calculus. That's not their thing. Uh, <laughs> so we're a one-year-old church, and that means that God is defining us. So I want us to center us in that. And if there are things that don't seem to exist yet, that's because God is calling us to build it. And that's what this series is all about. God is calling us to rise up and build the things that we look at and see as deficiencies and faults and ruins. See, Nehemiah, his, his book is all about him recognizing that the place where he came from, the place that he loved, was in ruins. But instead of him bailing, he realized that it's his responsibility to build it. Come on, somebody. And if there are some things that God is calling for us to build, but we're trying to build, we've got to stand firm and rise up and build what God is calling us to build. That's why this series is important, because God is calling us to rise up and build the things that we sense are broken. So if there are things that you sense may be broken, don't just look and go, man, it's broken over there. Figure out a way that you can stand up and rise and build to help the thing not be broken anymore. See, the problem is we live in a culture where things break, we throw them out. We say, it's not fitting my needs anymore. We, I'm going to get rid of it. I'm going to buy a new one. I'm going to go to a new church. 
But God is, is calling us as believers to be builders and, and, and to build up things that are broken. So this series is going to center us in that and, and remind us of that reality that we are the builders in the kingdom of God. We are living stones and epistles in the, the beautiful tapestry that God is weaving together. And, he, and without us doing our part and being a part of what God is calling us to, things don't work out right. You might be looking and saying, well, I'm just a pinky toe in the body of Christ. Go on and stub your pinky toe on the side of your bed today. And you'll realize that your pinky toe is important. So bring your pinky toe self up in here and get serving and get loving on Jesus and join a team and figure out how you can make a difference and all that kind of stuff. Find freedom in in groups and be a part of a community group. Don't look at that as something that, you know, you don't need to do. No, we, we want to have a vehicle by which we build community. Community is so important in a culture that's so individualistic that people are so alone when they've got 5,000 friends on a social media outlet. They can't even add any more friends and they're alone. That's why community is so important. And we're praying that through this series and through this time that God will use us to rise and build what has been broken. Amen. All right. All right. Go ahead and play the little clip. Now that I don't talk so much so I can get my little notes. No. Yeah. Okay. No volume. All right. That's okay. They're working it out. Nope. Nah. Okay. He said nah. <laughs> That's my son. Nah. <laughs> so, let me do this. Um, it's going to be really important for me to lay... Um, a foundation for us about the book of Nehemiah, um, because let's be honest, we don't read the book of Nehemiah. Y'all ain't going to be honest. Okay. <laughs> like we don't read the book of Nehemiah and we really don't have a full grasp of the history um, of this passage. So I'm going to lay a foundation for us. Um, so y'all bear with me in the beginning. Um, but in our Bibles today, right? The book of Ezra and Nehemiah, are, they're separated. However, in early on, Ezra and Nehemiah were often combined uh, into like a single unified work. So to understand the setting of Nehemiah, I need to give you a brief outline of both of the books uh, so that you understand where we're going. Okay. So these stories take place after King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, And the Babylonian Empire invaded Judah and destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, taking a large number of the Jewish people with them into what was known as exile. So the beginning of Ezra takes place approximately 50 years or so after the initial exile and one year after Persia had overtaken the Babylonian Empire. 
See, there, there might be something in your life that's taking you over, but there's always something that's bigger and badder than that. So we've got to recognize that and realize that, yeah, like stuff may not be good right now, but God's going to send something that's going to help me in the end. So this takes place here, Ezra and Nehemiah, it records three stories of uh, particular leaders who oversaw groups of people returning to Jerusalem and the rebuilding process of the city of Jerusalem. So a guy named Zerubbabel, like you want to name your kid that because that's a strong name, (laughs) Zerubbabel, um, in Ezra 1 through 6, the first part of Ezra, he helps to rebuild the temple. Uh, and after about about 60 years after the conclusion of those events, Ezra, the priest, uh, he arrives in Jerusalem to restore the teaching of the law of God to the people of Israel. And then that leads to Nehemiah, uh, who returns to initiate and oversee the building of the walls around Jerusalem, with that taking place a few years after Ezra returned. So these folks are all like, contemporary and like real people in history okay they're not like fairy tale stories these are real people all right so these three stories of return and rebuilding um they they follow a very similar pattern right first each begins with a king of persia being stirred by god to send the leader to jerusalem and to supply them with the resources that they need How many know that there's people working on your behalf because God is saying and speaking something to them over you in the midst of your difficulty? I found that out this past week that God had people who were working and and moving on our behalf even in the midst of difficulty. So when you find yourself in that situation, don't just freak out. Know and trust the character of God and know that he will influence kings and queens to work on your behalf. See, the, the second thing that he does is that he, the second thing that the pattern that it follows is that each leader encounters heavy resistance from others in the region that threaten the efforts of rebuilding. Anybody know that there's always somebody that's going to be on your back trying to stop you from doing the thing that God is calling you to do. But the third thing that happens is that these leaders overcome the opposition. And. Fourth, the rebuilding or restoring process finishes with great celebration. So it doesn't matter what it looks like. Listen here, believers. I taught you this in the last series at the very end. No matter what it looks like for you here in this life, we as believers in Jesus Christ, guess what we get? We have a hope that lasts in heaven, and there's going to be a celebration for us if we would just endure to the end. So the the book of Ezra begins with God stirring the heart of Cyrus, the the Persian king, to allow a group of Jewish exiles to return to Jerusalem, thus fulfilling the prophecy of Jeremiah 29, because God fulfills his word. Amen. And this act once again encourages the Israelites in the prophetic hope of God. See, we need we need a prophetic hope from God in this day and age, in this culture where everything seems like it's crumbling and falling apart. And our lives are oftentimes in ruins. Our cities are in ruins. Our communities are in ruins. But we need a prophetic hope from God and a prophetic word from God to speak clearly to us about what he's calling us to do. So the exile, watch this, is not the end. 
See, the exile is not the end for Israel as the people of God. So Zerubbabel, he leads a group back to Jerusalem to rebuild the altar of God in Ezra chapter 3 and to rebuild the temple. See, the, the people rejoiced and shouted over the foundation of the temple being built. However, many of the older priests and elders who had witnessed the former temple, they wept when seeing the foundation go up. Because it, it paled in comparison to the former glory of the temple. So they're rejoicing here, but then 60 years later, Ezra is a teacher of the law and a leader among the people. And he returns to Jerusalem with another wave of people. So his Ezra's arrival in Jerusalem prompts the hope of spiritual and community renewal. Y'all tracking with me? All right. However, Ezra is informed that many of the exiles who returned, they weren't following God's law. And so he had to set up some decrees and some edicts to help them get their life together. All right. So Nehemiah is serving this whole time because that leads us to Nehemiah. He's serving this whole time in the Persian Empire as a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. In other words, he was sipping on that lean for the king. Like, he was making sure that the king's stuff wasn't spiked and nobody was trying to kill him. So Nehemiah could have fell over dead. Like, that's his job. Like, can you imagine your job being, like, to sip something to make sure that it was poison? Like, and then you end up dying and, like, people have to go and tell your family that you died from, like, sipping out of a cup. That'd be weird. It's a hard job. You can't complain about your job because that's a hard job. What's the guy's name? Mike, what's his name? Mike something? Dirty Jobs guy? I can't remember his name. Mike something. Mike Rowe. There you go. That's a dirty job. Sipping somebody's cup. Anyway. <laughs> so he's serving as a cupbearer, right, for King Artaxerxes. And one day, the, an Israelite named Hanani, he, he, who's Nehemiah's brother, um, he returns from Persia to Judah And Nehemiah inquires about the well-being of the Israelites who had returned to Jerusalem. Like I often do when my brother shows up, I say, yo, what's going on with so-and-so? And And his response is just like Hananiah's. He's like, it's trouble and disgrace. (laughs) Like they're doing bad. and the the wall of Jerusalem, he's saying they're, they're in trouble, great trouble and disgrace. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates are burned with fire. So upon hearing this report, here's what Nehemiah does. His heart breaks, he mourns, he fasts, and he prays for several days. So Nehemiah's response to the news provides us with several ways that we can respond when we encounter trial, affliction, or evil. See, the first thing that we can do when we, respond, when we uh, encounter affliction and trial is that we have to respond just like Nehemiah did. His first response was to pray. I knew I wasn't going to get too many amens. I knew I had one from Taylor, but I knew I wasn't going to get too many amens about that because, listen, we don't want to do the hard work of praying. See, in our situations, here's, here's, what he, here's what he did not do. He didn't go and run and tell his friends about what was going on. He tells God. 
See, he didn't go and run and jump on Instagram and post about the difficulty that he was facing. Instead, he ran to God. See, in, in the midst of difficulty and, 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 and in the midst of trial, we've got to stop running to our buddies and our girlfriends, and we've got to run to Jesus. See, what happens is, is that when we go run to other people, we're running to distract ourselves from the problem. See, we, we distract ourselves from the problem by talking to our buddies and our friends because what it does for us, it doesn't allow us to have to deal with God about the situation. And see, we got to stop being trying to distract ourselves by running and telling everybody about what's going on. We've got to deal with God because guess what? He's the only one that can provide a solution for the problem that you're facing in the first place. Your friends don't know nothing. They're struggling just like you. You're going to know about your, your, your man problems and they ain't got no man. Come on, somebody. I'm going to tell the truth in here today. See, he, he does not distract himself from the problem. But he does, he casts his anxieties and his cares upon God. When, when we encounter reports and go through difficulty, prayer has to be our first response and not our last resort. In the same way, when we experience the goodness and blessing of God, Prayer with thanksgiving should be our initial reaction. I talked about that a couple weeks ago. Pray with joy. Remember that? The second thing that Nehemiah does, and here's the one that God's been jabbing at me with all week, is that Nehemiah enters a season of seeking God through prayer, fasting, and mourning. See, Nehemiah says, for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. But the reality is, is that Nehemiah first heard the report in the month of Shizlev. That's that corresponds roughly to November or December in their calendar. And when Nehemiah goes to the king in chapter two to act upon what he had heard, it's now the month of Nisan, which is the first month of the Israelite calendar corresponding to about April or March. So from November until April, Nehemiah fasted, prayed, and mourned before God. He didn't just pray and fast for a few days and expect everything to change. Well, God, I prayed at at, at 3.30 and you haven't acted. It's 5 o'clock. What you doing, Jesus? Maybe like controlling a universe or something like that? I don't know. But we get caught up and we think because I said a little passing prayer about my circumstance that God should just get up off of his throne and start working because I commanded him to work at this point now. But God isn't on our time clock. We're on his. Unfortunately for us, he sits outside of time. So that means his time clock is a little broke. (laughs) (laughs) And he doesn't function how we expect him to function and in the time frame in which we expect him to function because God sits outside of time and he sees everything. He sees your little situation and he sees you crying and you're mourning and you're weeping. But what what I'm suggesting to us here and what this passage is teaching us in Nehemiah is that we've got to enter into seasons of prayer and fasting. Let me be transparent with y'all for a, a minute. Like I struggled this week to pray. 
in the midst of all that's going on with my wife's health, in the midst of, of, of things feeling like they're in ruins for me and all that kind of stuff, like I struggled to pray. I felt like there was a stronghold over me stopping me from opening up my mouth and speaking to God. Like you would think in the midst of a, a situation like what we're going through or any situation that you, you would open up your mouth and ask God to, to help you and to, and to move on your behalf. But I was unable to do that for several days. And it wasn't until I went to my wife and told her, I said, babe, I'm like, I'm feel like I'm stuck. Like I can't pray. Like I can't, like I, I can't, don't feel like I can connect to God. Like I don't know what's going on. My wife told me, she said, you know that song, I Surrender All? And I was like, yeah, I know it. She said, why don't you go listen to that? And I just began to listen to that song, and I began to say, God, I surrender. And I realized that the thing was that was blocking me from connecting was God, for, with God was the fact and the reality that I thought I shouldn't be in this situation in the first place. I felt like, God, why are you doing this? Why are you treating us like this? Why are you letting us go through this? And I realized that the reason that I was stopped from, from, from praying and seeking God was because I wasn't trusting him to provide and do what he said he would do in the midst of the situation. And that's true for all of us. We get in the midst of circumstances and we feel like, who does God think he is taking me through this stuff? Where are you, God? Why aren't you acting on my behalf? What's wrong with you? Don't you know I've been faithful to you? Don't you know I've been serving you? But all the while, God is looking for connection with us. He's not worried about the stuff that we do for him. He's worried about our connection with him. So we've got to enter into seasons of prayer and fasting and mourning before God. See, when we do that, when we enter into seasons of prayer and, and fasting and mourning, Nehemiah's prayer and fasting lasted anywhere between 90 and 150 days. We won't pray for 90 seconds. <laughs> and we expect God to just boom, show up and do some crazy stuff like Nehemiah prayed for 90 days, and guess what? After, even after praying for somewhere between 90 and 150 days, guess what? He still had to get out there and do the hard work of rebuilding the wall. See, God heard his prayers, and he answered his prayers, and guess what? He said, you got it, buddy. <laughs> Go ahead and make it happen. Go gather them people and be a leader and make stuff, make stuff work and have to fight with people trying to pull you off the wall and doing the work that you're doing. Here's what happens, though. We live in a culture that thrives on the instant. I'm going to wait for y'all to tell the truth. Like, we live in a culture that thrives on the instant. We want things to happen right away. We don't even want to go to the store. We want to get on our phone and order it and expect it to be there in two days. That's not on Amazon Prime. <laughs> not ordering that. We expect to have movies downloaded onto our phone instantly. I was in a barbershop yesterday, and um, one of the barbers in there, he said to me, Hey, Doc, 
He always calls me Doc because he don't know my name, <laughs> even though I told him 47 times. Uh, <laughs> hey, Doc. <laughs> Come over here. Look at this real quick. So first he let me hear all his music that he's doing and all that stuff like that. And I was like, cool. And then he called me back. He's like, Doc, come here. Come listen to this. So I walk over, and he pulls up this website on his phone. Now, at first, I'm like, hold up, bro. Like, you can't be pulling the websites on me. Like, I'm a Christian. <laughs> like, I'm a pastor. You can't do this stuff to me. So he pulls up this website. He's like, go on your phone and do this. So it's some website, right, that allows you to watch movies instantly. Like, even ones that are in the movie theater currently. <laughs> See, I had it in my note to say, and I'm not saying it now. <laughs> I looked at him, and he was like, listen, you know that new movie that's out right now? You seen that Avengers, John? Like, you can watch that right now, Doc. And I'm like, okay, Doc. Um, that's called piracy, Doc. Like, I'm a reverend. I can't be pirating movies. Like, what you talking about? And isn't that like what we do? When we expect results without paying the price, we rob God of his credits. See, I wish I had some people in here who knew what good preaching was. See, when, when, we, when, we, when we don't pay the price, when we don't pay the price of waiting, what we do is we rob God of his credits for the results that we get. See, it, it, oftentimes what we do is we forget that all the things that are valuable, they take some time. See, things that are really worth something, they take some time. The experience of going to the movies with your boo, it takes a, a level of you going and you driving to the movie theater and you walking up to the to the register and getting your ticket and paying twelve ninety five for a box of popcorn and all that craziness that we do. But the experience and the connection that you get watching that movie with them together, it is more valuable than you just downloading it on your phone and falling asleep on your couch anyway or trying to do some Netflix and chill and all that kinds of craziness see the the, the, the tyranny of the instant it, it, it takes us away from experiencing the fullness of what God wants to do in our lives and then we walk around wondering why do I feel empty like I got this job now but I just don't feel like this is the right job for me. Well, that's because you went ahead of God and trying to make stuff happen for yourself instead of allowing God to saturate you and soak you in what he wants you to do and allow you to go through the process like we talked about in the last series of being and connected with him. But immediate gratification is our default response. We, that, that's just how we get down. And, and it's difficult for us to overcome those urges and, urges and be patient and wait for things to come over time. It just is. The desire for the instance, the instant also influences our spiritual lives as well. When we experience trials and hardship, we don't want to wait. When we experience difficulty, we don't want to be in that thing for a second. We want God to deliver us now. Like, it's my money and I need it now. That's what we do. 
But we got to patiently enter into the process of seeking God and waiting on him. Just because we don't see the immediate results from our prayer and other spiritual disciplines does not mean that we have to give up and quit. That means we need to persevere and walk by faith. Here's the third thing that Nehemiah does. It says he confesses his sins and the sins of his people. See, confession is a, is a powerful spiritual practice in, in our lives. However, when we hear or think about the word confession, we, we have a negative reaction to it. See, we think of confession as a negative word, a, a horrible experience, or something that might be a reminder of our failures. See, we think, we think of that Catholic joint where we walk up to the guy and, like, go into the booth and we confess all of our stuff. That's not what confession is. That's just telling some random person your, your business who's not going to have no ability to help you through nothing. He's just going to go, okay, your sins are forgiven, as if he has some power to forgive your sins in the first place. But confession is beautiful. See, the, the Greek word is a compound term, which means to speak the same. Therefore, confessing is agreeing with God that we've sinned against him and others. But this certainly does not mean that the cause of every trial and hardship that we face, or every suffering that we face, is a result of personal sin. But what I am saying is that we have to seek God in difficult seasons and agree with him and his truth. And we have to humble ourselves and submit to his rule and his reign. So confession looks like this. God, I'm in the midst of this right now and I don't like it. This sucks. I'm not feeling the fact that I'm going through this, but I'm going to say the same thing that you're saying right now. And you must be wanting me to go through this. There's something for me inside of this trial that I'm going through. So I'm going to trust you and I'm going to believe what you say and I'm going to follow through with this and I'm going to have thankfulness in my heart because I know that you're a good father and that you'll never lead me into calamity and I know that you'll never lead me into into distress and falling because you are a good father and you hold me in the hand in the palm of your hand. We got to confess and say the same thing that God says. Fourth thing that he does in prayer is Nehemiah recalls the character and promises of God. See, when we find our hearts troubled and our circumstances appearing dark, we have to remember how great and how amazing God's faithfulness and loving kindness is towards us. See, in verse 5, the Hebrew word for love is the word hesed. You heard me talk about this word before. But that word means loyal love, unfailing kindness, or devotion. For example, it, it talks about a love or affection that is steadfast based on prior relationship. See, the hesit of God over your life is a direct result of a prior relationship that you have with Jesus. 
See, it's because of the relationship that you have with Jesus and the fact that he purchased you and the fact that he redeemed you and ransomed you from your sin allows you to have the unfailing, unending love of God, the, the devotion from God, the, the hesed of God, the loyal love of God over your life because of Jesus. See, what that means is, is that his love doesn't fluctuate. Come on, somebody. Like, we, in our relationships, we like to say that I love them unconditionally. Stop lying. You don't love them unconditionally. You love them with condition. I.e., if they step outside of the parameters that you have set up for the standard of how to love you, guess what? You're not feeling loving towards them anymore. When people step outside of the parameters that you feel for how they should treat you, guess what? You stop loving them the way that you love them. But God doesn't do that. God, his love is unwavering. It's unfluctuating. It doesn't, it doesn't stop. It doesn't change. God loves you the same When you are getting up at five in the morning and praying and reading your Bible, he loves you just the same as when you don't get up and that you are here doing craziness. God loves you just the same. That doesn't mean he don't have standards for us. He still got standards for us on how to live. But his love doesn't it it doesn't fluctuate. And that's a that's that's grace. That his love doesn't fluctuate. So when we go through afflictions and stress and, 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 and seasons of hurt, we need to stand up and hope upon the foundation of God's truth. So as we encounter trial and affliction and evil, we got to respond by entering into a season of prayer and confession. Y'all remember at the top of the year we did 21 days of prayer? That shouldn't be the only time you do that. We did 21 days of prayer and fasting. Like, that should not be the only time that you do that. You should be walking in that as a part of your Christian devotion to God. Now, I ain't saying it got to be 21 days, but it's got to be something, a season of something. You know, like you watch seasons of your show all at one time, right? You can have a season of prayer all at one time. <laughs> like, but you, we've, got to, we've got to make sure that we're diving into that stuff so that we can recall the character and promises of God. Y'all tracking with me? Okay, so now here I go. I got a little bit more time. Watch this. If we are going to, I'm gonna, I'm, I, I didn't tag this text yet. I'm going to tag this text as building something great. Building something great. See, in the midst of all of this, that was just me laying the foundation for you. In the midst of all of this, God is calling us as his people to build something great for him. See, Nehemiah here, he recognized in this passage in, 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 in chapter one of Nehemiah, he, he heard about the ruins that were in place. And he said, after some prayer and some seasons of prayer, he realized that he needed to go and do something about it. See, Nehemiah, he, 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 his name means Jehovah comforts. And so in the midst of great distress, we've got to recognize that God will comfort us. Come on, believers in here. Do you know that God will comfort you in the midst of your great distress? Like, and Nehemiah, he was the son of, of, Hach- uh, of, of Hachaliah, who his name means that Jehovah enlightens. See, sometimes in order for God to comfort you, he's got to enlighten you. See, and, and in other words, that, that, that can also mean that, that Jehovah disturbs you. 
See, the way that God has to enlighten you sometimes is he's got to disturb you and disrupt your regularly scheduled program. And see, that's what God does with us in the midst of trial and difficulty. He's working and he's disturbing some things in our lives because oftentimes what happens is we allow other things to be our comfort and not allow God to be our comfort. So God is not sitting around waiting for other things to comfort us. In fact, he's like, nah, I'm not going to sit and let that comfort you. He's like a jealous God. He's not like, nah, you ain't about to put your arm around my girl. Like that's not about to go down. What he does is that he sees us falling into the arms of something else and he says, no, Nah, that's not going to happen. Let me send this little bit of trial and difficulty your way. So when we when we see this, we've got to recognize that God wants to disrupt us. And what he does in the midst of that and what he does in the midst of our great distress is that God will send a gracious and favorable word before us. That's who his brother was. Hananiah's word. His name means gracious and favorable. So in the midst of that, he asks, he's like, this great distress that I'm seeing out in front of me, because I want to talk to us about building something great, right? Oftentimes we look around our city and what we see, we see distress. Oftentimes we look around in our communities and we see distress. Oftentimes we look inside of our families. Come on, somebody, be honest. We look at our families and we see great distress, like, T.T. always saying something crazy. Like, what's up with her? Like, she always, like, why don't she just mind her business? Like, no, I'm not married yet. Like, is you married yet, T.T.? Like, goodness. Like, they always got something to say. There's always some kind of distress going on in your family and in, in our lives. But in the midst of that, here's what, here's what Nehemiah does. He looks for the remnant to see how they're doing. See, a remnant is the ones who have escaped or have been delivered. There were people who, who didn't fall into captivity, but, but they were a remnant that, that was sent back to Jerusalem and they remained. And maybe you represent the remnant of your family. Maybe you represent the ones who escaped uh, uh, the generational curses of poverty and addiction and fatherlessness and depression. Maybe that's you. Maybe you represent the ones who have been delivered from the entanglement that captured most of your friends, the drugs and the addiction and all that kind of stuff. When you look around, I just got news this week that one of my friends died and that I went to high school with, played basketball with. I, I, I found out that he died and I'm realizing that God rescued me. He delivered me from the entanglement that could have caught me up in the same types of stuff but now as we look at this we've got to see as we're building towards stuff if you are one of the delivered ones guess what god is now calling you to be the one who goes back and to help build what is broken see you god doesn't just deliver you for yourself he doesn't just deliver you so you can say, I've been delivered. Like, no, he delivers you so that you can rally up around a team and an army of people who can go after some brokenness and he can send you into the city to rebuild the walls of the city and do something new and something powerful in the lives of those who have brokenness in their lives. That's what God's calling us to. He's asking about the ones who, who survived, the ones who've been kept alive. He said, we, and we might be in distress right now, but if you tell the truth of your story, you'll be able to say that God kept you. Anybody been here be, been kept by God? Anybody been kept by Jesus? Like, and, and the thing that he kept you, some of the stuff you put yourself in. Most of it you put yourself into. Most of the trouble that you found yourself in, the great trouble and distress that they found themselves in, for us, most of the times, it's because of our bad decisions. 
most of the time it's because of the shameful things that we do that we won't confess and admit to anybody and we think that nobody sees and that nobody knows about but those things that we try to hide and keep tucked away those are the reasons why we find ourselves in great trouble and distress but God is calling us to this he's saying look the walls might be broken the gates might be burned down but you serve a great God and that's my next idea is this he tells us this he says that Nehemiah he wept and he mourned for a number of days fasting and praying before the God of heaven and he said to him this is a prayer he says Lord the God of heaven the great and all-inspiring God who keeps his gracious commandments with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your eyes be open and your ears be attentive to hear your servant's prayer that I now pray to you day and night for your servants, the Israelites. I confess the sins we have committed against you. Both both I and my father's family have sinned. We've acted corruptly towards you and have not kept your commands, your statutes, your ordinance that you gave to your servant Moses. Please remember what you commanded to your servant Moses that if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. But if you return to me and carefully observe my commands, even though you are there and, and bring, even though you're there and bring them to the place where I choose and, and have them to dwell in my midst. In verse 10, he says, they they are your servants and your people. You redeem them by your great power and your strong hand. Please, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to that of your servants who delight to revere your name. Give your servant success today and grant him compassion in the presence of this king. See, Nehemiah understood this, that if he was going to build something great, that he needed to be connected to a great God. The same is true for you. If you're going to build something great, you've got to be connected to a great God. And when you're connected to that great God, here's my last idea is this. You are connected to his great power. Verse 10 says this. He says, they are your servants and your people. You redeem them by your great power and strong hand. There are things in your life that God, that only God could have brought you through. And it's because of his great power and his great strength that you are in the place that you are in right now. And if we're honest in here today, we would recognize that if it had not been for Jesus, who was on my side, where or oh where would I be? And we've got to have that in our minds and in our hearts as we're working towards building something great. And this is just a foundational sermon for us, an introductory one for us about what Nehemiah is going to walk us through. But here's the four things I want you to take away from this. You can, If you're a note taker, you can take these as notes. If we're going to build something great here in the city of Wilmington and in our lives, we have to care. I'll say it again. If we're going to build something great here in the city of Wilmington, we have to care. First thing we have to care about is that we have to care enough to ask. See, verse 1 through 3, Nehemiah, he asked his brother, he said, what's going on over there? Oftentimes we find ourselves in our silos of comfort and security, and we don't even ask about what's going on. We, we ignore it. We say, that don't got nothing to do with me. 
We hop out of our cars and go the back way into the house. We hop out of our vehicles and ride through the city and we don't take a look or a glance at the degradation and the violence and the, and the poverty that are going on in the city. We don't even bother to ask. But if we're going to build something great, we have to ask. We got to care enough to ask. Here's the next one. If we're going to build something great, we have to care enough to weep about the condition of our community. See, Nehemiah, he weeped. And that word for weeping means to distill or flow by drops. Distilling is a process which which purifies a liquid by vaporizing it or heating it up and then condensing it by cooling the vapor and collecting the resulting liquid. Distilling means to extract the essence of something by heating it up. And that's what we're called to in this. We have to extract the essence of the reality of our communities. And that ought to impact us at such a level that when we ride through the streets of Wilmington and when we walk up to our neighbors and when we see our family members not serving Jesus and not loving Jesus, it should cause us to weep. Next one is this. We have to care enough to pray. For the members of our community. You, if you don't pray, it's a clear sign that you don't care. See, we, we go to God and run in and talk about stuff that, you know, like we care about this, we care about that. God, why don't you do this, why don't you do that? Like, or oh, this is not happening. Like, I care so much about this. Did you pray about it? And if you didn't pray, it's a clear sign that you don't care. That's where I found myself this week. I found myself not really caring about the situation because I was too busy thinking about how I was impacted by it. The next thing, the last one we got to do is this. We got to care enough to volunteer to make a difference in our community. Verse 11, he says, please, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to that of your servants. Watch this who delight to revere your name. Give your servant success today and grant him compassion in the presence of this man. See, we have to care enough to volunteer to do something. And as we're exploring this series of Nehemiah about rise and build, I want us to take a deep look at how much we really care. See, we can be in an environment where we have concern, but we don't have care. And God is calling us to care and have compassion for those that are lost. He's calling us to have a compassion for those that are the least, the last, the lost, and the left out. That's why we proclaim that we're on the block in the middle of it for the glory of Christ. And there's a whole lot of thought about what that is. But let me be clear. What I mean that we're on the block, what I mean is, is that we're a city on a hill. And God is calling us to be that. And he's calling us to be an outbreaking of the kingdom of God here on the earth. So as we're working towards that, we're striving towards that, y'all, we got to care if we're going to build something great. We got to care enough to ask. 
We got to care enough to weep. We got to care enough to pray. And we got to care enough to volunteer to make a difference. Is that all right? Father, thank you.